Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Our WhatsApp number 087-1400-106. Time now for uh, The Voice of Reason. Uh, If only we could beam her words (laughs) into the minds of many people around the world. It would help greatly. Uh, Joanna Fortune. uh, Thanks very much. uh, uh, You're welcome. Uh, uh, No pressure. Uh, uh, We have a soon-to-be 18-year-old boy and for years we have been concerned about his behaviour and moods. We've tried counselling and CAMS but he won't engage in anything meaningful. Our son is in leaving cert and while he goes to school, he does the bare minimum. He's very bright, wants to go to college, but doesn't follow through on anything he needs to be doing. What is the most difficult is that he spends hours a day listening to YouTube. Uh, It seems obsessive. He's very impressionable and immature and impulsive and takes everything he hears as fact. He will become preoccupied with an idea he's heard and then the next month it will be something else. He's also been scammed online a few times and lost money. Like many teenagers, if you say the sky is blue, he will say it's pink. But his behaviour seems more extreme. I think he suffers from intrusive thoughts. He has ADHD and ASD. He has no relationship with his younger siblings. In fact, the entire house walks on eggshells around him because he's so irritable. His headphones are on constantly and if we try to speak with him, he turns the volume up. Despite this being very hurtful and disrespectful, I find it so concerning for his well-being and mental health. He does have a good group of friends, but I think he masks a lot in order to fit in. Crikey, there's a lot there. Oh, there's a lot in here. And I really feel for this parent, but I also feel for this kid, you know, Sean, in listening to this, because look, many parents who've had teenagers through, you know, CAMS or any kind of adolescent mental health system will know getting a diagnosis is not the answer. It's not an outcome. Like Mm. there's, okay, now that we have some understanding around what's going on for you, what do we do with that understanding? What kind of protocols or treatment or therapy? And actually with a teenager, you can't force them. I mean, I know many parents have tried. I I know firsthand many parents have tried and incentivizing slash bribing and paying kids to go to therapy. But they have to want to be there as well or to see some value or some benefit for themselves in going. And many teenagers do, by the way. But I just really feel when you're saying, look, we have tried counselling and CAMS. He won't engage in anything meaningful. It's that gap between we've tried, he won't, that I just feel I'm wondering if you came at this in a way of, asking him if he would go to talk with somebody with you that you're going and you Mm, would like him to go to because you would really like to work on your relationship. You want to get to a place where you're not nagging him or irritating him. And the only way you can improve your parenting is if he's there to help deepen that understanding and awareness. And would he come with you so you're going together? And then it really is a we process as opposed to him going, I don't need it. I'm fine if you'd leave me alone. You're the issue here, which is often a refrain. The other thing that really jumps out at me here is that he is a vulnerable young adult. I mean, we're talking about you're using language like impressionable, immature, impulsive. Everything he hears is a fact, you know, becoming preoccupied with one idea and then switching it to another and getting scammed online. This just seems like quite a vulnerable young adult to me. Mm. And that's a worry for any parent and particularly because he is soon to be 18. The other thing is he's had a diagnosis of ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and also ASD, autistic spectrum disorder. And you're talking about intrusive thoughts, which indeed can be a feature of either or both of the those diagnoses. 
you don't say when he got this diagnosis. And if it's a number of years ago, you know, early to mid adolescence, for example, he certainly would not only need but deserve a clinical review at this stage. He's about to enter adulthood and I'm putting that in quotation marks because he's still a Leaving Cert student and 18 and living at home but he is going to age out of the child and adolescent mental health system quite Mm. soon. Now look at there can sometimes there's leeway and he might be he's still in full-time education for example they might be able to hold him for an extra year but they might not and either way he his care Given he has that diagnosis, I imagine through that system, based on what you're saying, he will need to be referred to adult community mental health services. So actually linking back in with CAMS would be a good idea, if only for future care planning. Mm. Actually, he has this diagnosis a number of years. Maybe he's been prescribed medication. Maybe he hasn't. You know, you want to have a review. And if he would go and you're saying not to therapy, but just to check in, they gave you this diagnosis. They have to do this before you're an adult so that you can be referred to any services in the Mm. future. That's the appointment we're making. It's almost like you're trying to say to him, will you go here for this specific reason? But don't be vague or abstract about it. Be very specific. I'm also thinking as, as you're talking here that, You know, I'm wondering, Sean, there might be pockets of time in the day when they can connect. There's just so much disconnect in this letter here. You know, I'm thinking of this kid with his headphones. He's certainly not the only one. But given he does have ADHD and ASD, that might be a sensory thing for him as well. Yeah, yeah. He's been at school all day. You're, You're saying he's been masking to fit in, which is where you act in a way that isn't your natural instinct, but you're performing the strain, the effort. He may be coming home to you exhausted. And, you know, the headphones, I'm playing, you know, devil's advocate here, but it might be a way of saying, I've been talked at all day. I'm actually done with that part of my day. Hmm. Please, nobody talk to me. And the escaping into his room, developmentally an adolescent thing to do, immersing into YouTube, these are not pathological behaviours. These are quite common. It's really about what is he immersed in? How is it affecting him? And it shouldn't be at a cost of any family interaction, which it is sounding like it Mm. might be here. But I think one of the things you could do is become interested in what he is watching. You say YouTube, that could be anything. Okay, so what is he watching or listening to? You have a watch and a listen of the same thing Mm. so that you can say, oh, I was watching an interview. Even if you don't agree, it doesn't matter that you can say, let's talk about this and have some way of connecting or meeting with him in something in a shared interest kind of way. I'm also wondering because he is clearly attending school. I know you say He's not putting a huge amount of effort in. That's in there too. I did get that. That's not developmentally unusual either. No, but I mean, this is a kid who you say is bright and wants to go to college. He has desire. He has ambition. He has hope for himself and his future. I would hang on to that. I would see that as very positive. And I wonder, can you go to the school and ask them to support you, to support him? What's their sense or experience Mm -hmm. of him? Does he have a good connection with a member of faculty there who could have a conversation with him and say, look, what is it we're planning? Where are you going? How is the day going for you? Are you finding it very tiring? Is there anything we could do to support you? Doing a more collaborative approach, because one of the things I often find is it's very difficult to force your teenager to go and talk to somebody in mental health services, no matter how much you bribe them, by the way. They don't have to talk once they're in the door. They'll only have to go there. That can be hard. And what can be beneficial is to go yourself as a parent. Mm. Seek a parent consultation with a psychologist, a psychotherapist. Many, if not most, will provide that. Um, You might go once, you might go for a block of sessions. And through that, it is about supporting you to support your young person. Yeah. So that 
in lots of ways, yes, you're the one going to therapy, but it is about what is and isn't working, what small changes could make big differences at home and how are you experiencing things so that if the change can be affected through you and you're the one who will willingly go, then that is worth doing. Yeah. My query concerns an upcoming stay an upcoming stay in hospital for me as I'm due to go for brain surgery for epilepsy in the ne- in the next couple of months. This will involve a minimum four week stay in hospital in Dublin. We live in the west of Ireland and children under 12 aren't allowed to visit anyway. Aside from being away for that long, there'll also be the physical change of having half my head shaved so I will look different when I come back. I have very long hair at the moment. During the hospital stay, we will obviously do regular FaceTimes, etc. There will be a big bandage on my head, so that will be different for them too. The four-year-old is extremely astute and, we think, intelligent. So I think the best thing with him is to be as honest as possible, but without scaring or worrying him. I'm almost more concerned about the two-year-old as he's very clingy to his mummy and as far as he's concerned, I think I'll have just disappeared. It's hard to know how to approach all of this with the children, let alone all of my own anxieties around the surgery itself. Oh my goodness. And it's that last line, because as you were reading that, I was saying, isn't it so typical of parents to think about, but what about the kids and thinking about the kids? This is a major surgery and a major life Mm. event for you as an adult. And, you know, while I was hearing this concern about how the children are going to handle it, I I found myself very concerned um, for how this parent is going to experience this because this is huge and potentially life changing like this. There's a lot of hope in a surgery like this, but it is not a small thing. It's a big thing. And, you know, the other thing that jumped out is, you know, you might think, oh, it doesn't matter about hair. Hair is just hair. Actually, no. Our hair is part of our identity. It's part of how we look, how we feel about ourselves. And that jumped out at me, you know, that you're going to look different when you come back and you have this very long hair. You'll also look different to yourself in the mirror and be gentle with yourself and kind with yourself around this. Because a part of me is thinking, so this surgery is happening in the next couple of months. One option you have is to begin the conversation sooner rather than later. And young children are such visual learners that if you could, and I really don't say this lightly, and I hope you have a kind, skilled, I'm sure you do, hairdresser who is well used to this, you could begin to cut your hair. You could begin to take some control and use that as the conversation that you're getting your hair cut and letting, especially your four-year-old, but your children know that the doctor's going to need to cut away some of my hair to be able to do their work on my brain. And so I'm helping them out. I'm going to get my hair cut up now. It's going to be much easier. So this is like a super haircut. It's not Mm. a normal haircut. It's a super haircut. And they're saying, oh, you're getting your hair cut because this is happening. And they're seeing that. Mm. And they're a part of that process with you. And again, that's really hard. So be very kind with yourself. I Look, there's lots of things you can do. You will do. You're talking about FaceTime calls. I think your four-year-old will handle that better than your two-year-old. So manage your expectations. <laughs> yes, we had yes. this conversation recently about little kids not being great on the phone. Mm. And it's very abstract for them. And if they're not in the mood, it can feel like a rejection if you're mm. the parent on the phone. They're like, sorry, I'm actually watching Bluey right now. I don't yeah. have time for your call mm. yeah. <laughs> or whatever it might be. So I think if... If that's to be a FaceTime call, think about maybe taking that example of watching something like Bluey, a kid's episode, where just be on the phone beside them watching it together. 
Yeah. So they're not yeah. under, but you're just having that be with moment. I think as well that you record some videos. So when they're not in the mood and the other parent or whoever's caring for your children while you're away, taking videos of them. So there is this, oh, I saw you doing your dance earlier. I saw you singing your song. Can we sing it together? There's that continuity of I know what's going on in your life. Obviously, enlist help from anyone and everyone. Everyone who offers, give them a specific job. People don't offer it. Let me know if you need a hand if they're not really willing to do it. So have a list of tasks and say, take your pick, (laughs) pick laundry, pick cooking, pick playdates, pick childcare, pick something. But do take people up on that. The other thing I'd say is leave what I'm going to call a a mommy message box for while you're a daddy message box. I'm not sure which parent this is. I think it's the mommy. Yeah, it sounds like the mommy Um, to me. Message box at home with with, an initial, you say you could be away for about four weeks, but a weekly package of activities. Now I'm talking like note paper, uh, doodle paper, colouring pages, things like that. They can draw you pictures, colour in pages and leave stamped addressed envelopes inside and they can put them in and they can be posted to you and then mm. you can stick them by your bed or wherever you're recovering. And on those FaceTime calls, they'll see their picture beside you. And it has that connection, a book like The Invisible String again, and that concept of saying, even though we're going to be far apart, we're connected, you know, using that line, when I don't see you with my eyes, I always feel you in my heart. And those bits of connection, I think some of that is to help us as parents, by the way, oh, sure, you know, yeah. as much as yeah. children. I think you could also get And these can be as basic as you like, um, a little stuffy, a little bear and call it a hug bear. And you're leaving it full of hugs and kisses and the kids can have that when you're not there. And Mm. you will have one, too. It's really important that you all have one and that you have one that they can blow kisses into and fill with hugs for you. But be honest with them as well. But please take care of yourself in this. I just think, you know, that the things on the FaceTime call, it's not going to be, hi, how are you? What's going on? It's going to be singing songs reading stories, bring some of their favourite storybooks with you if they're not already committed to memory from repetition, Mm. which they may Mm. well be at that age. But bring some of those, play peekaboo, play hide and seek between now and then. Lots of games that you can continue and letting them know that they're that you will be back. It's always about not how long you're away, but how soon you'll be coming back. So that could be a visual calendar at home. And Mm. there's like a little post-it that's ripped off every day with a number underneath for how many days left for you coming home. I am wary of being so specific with that because the letter says a minimum of four Four weeks. weeks. Yeah. So with dates, maybe wait for the calendar until you do know when you're coming back and do a one to two week countdown with them when you have a date of discharge. Yeah. For that return. Now... I suppose the four-year-old will have, you know, some, but but for the two-year-old, if if this parent has been away for four weeks, maybe mm. longer, when when they return, might, for the two-year-old particularly, might there be a period of who are you again, or, or so can much, you just pick yeah, up where you not left so off? much who are you, but there could be behavioural regression where yeah. they slip back, or you might get a few tantrums. You might get because children can't say, "Gosh, that separation's been really difficult for me." I'm relieved you're home, but I'm angry yeah. that you went. <laughs> yes. but they will say that to you in their behaviour. You know, Mm. they will lash out or they will get cross or they will get frustrated. They will do things to let you know, not that I'm trying to be difficult, but I'm trying to let you know I'm having a difficult time. Yeah. And it's really about being very tolerant and gentle with that. But even when you come home, rally the troops and make sure that you've got help around you as well. And it's a lot of sofa time. It's a lot of nurture, snuggles, really gentle, calm play and being very aware of what you feel up to. Mm, yeah, absolutely. 
Our six-year-old finds it really difficult to take or accept correction or responsibility. He will come up with excuses, true or made up, and can get very angry and upset when you insist that what he did or said was not right. I'm not sure if it is related, but he has also become very competitive and obsessed with money. He wants to talk about money all the time and has started taking money from my, his father's wallet, his grandparents' house, etc. He knows it's wrong to take the money, but no matter what we say or do, we keep finding more money he's taken. He's two younger sisters and none of our family is particularly into sports or competitive. Okay, I mean... I'm going to start with maybe a competitive team sport would be a good thing for him because yeah. it would give quite a structured outlet for some of that stuff that's going on. But there's there's layers to this one. Um, you have a six-year-old who finds it difficult to take correction or responsibility. Not shocking, mm, okay? At all. At yes. all. Because just, you know, chronologically six, you could be emotionally a little younger anyway. But even at that, children are generally speaking, and when I mention ages, honestly, I hope everyone hears that as a guideline, not, you know, an absolute. <laughs> Target, yes. Because no two six or seven year olds are the same. But it takes children until they're about developmentally seven years old to be able to do that self-regulation, mm, you know, to be able yeah. to go, oh, gosh, I've crossed a line there. I need to row that back a bit and make a different choice. That takes years for children to kick in. And this little guy is not there yet. So some of what you're describing, particularly around some impulsive behaviour about taking things that aren't his and in the moment of, hey, I've caught you out saying, wasn't me, I didn't do it, someone else did it, making up a story, all very developmental. Now, it might be he's doing it at an over and above level for what we'd consider typical behaviour. Because when you say he's coming up with excuses, I'm hearing he's coming up with defences. Yes. And when you say, (laughs) you know, he gets very angry and upset when when you insist that what he did or said wasn't right, I'm hearing shame. That's a kid who's getting shame activated. Now, shame is not guilt. When we're guilty, that tends to be about behavior. You Mm. know, I'm guilty that I did something. It's not pleasant, but I might learn something from that and I can recover from it. Shame is about the person. Not that I did a bad thing. I am the bad thing. So when shame gets activated, none of us cope well with that, by the way. We seek to get rid of it out of ourselves and point the finger. We'll minimize it's no big deal or we'll blame somebody else. This for me is feeling a bit more like this. And running through this letter is a theme of control. He's trying to be in control of things. And that brings up a question for me. Why? Where is he not in control? Where is the struggle that this might be masking? So I may be answering a question with more questions, but for the parents, if they're listening, just to try and think about that. Um, Becoming competitive and obsessed with money. Again, these are just interesting traits that are emerging. You say, look, no matter what you say, he keeps taking this money and you're finding it. But I'm wondering what's the consequence for taking it? You saying, hey, don't do that isn't really a consequence for taking money because First of all, when, when kids are taking money, I want to know why. You know, what are you taking the money for? Is it for himself? Is it for mm. others? Is he trying to buy friends? Is he, you know, what's going on there? If he's saving up for something, um, talk to him about earning and saving and he can do chores and you'll give him some extra pocket money and he can save it and buy the thing. He may not know that this is an option for mm. him or have that understanding. And giving kids, especially this age, chores, you know, really increases responsibility for them, but it helps to raise self-esteem. It gives you something practical to praise and more opportunities for independence. And then the other thing I want you to think about is how are you currently correcting his behaviour? Is it, haha, got you? Catching him out and confronting him with that. Always remember, if you want to correct a behaviour, you do it within connection. You know, think correction within connection. So stay, 
You're look at I love you no matter what. No matter what's going on, I love you. This behavior is not okay. Mm. We have to stop this. So the next time you feel the way, here's what you're going to do instead. Redirect, distract, do it in a very structured way. Make sure when there is a rupture and he's in trouble and he's definitely in trouble for some of this, that there is repair. And that includes for him, if he's taken money from grandparents or from your purse, that he has an opportunity to make repair. How are you going to make this up? You have to return the money do a card, do something nice for that person, a gesture that he gets the opportunity to experience relational repair for that as well, because that's how you're going to teach him right from wrong and him recognizing that wasn't the right thing to do. And I know what to do Yes, to recover yeah. from that. Because he may not know. Exactly that. that. And give him do overs. You know, when he's saying to you, you know, he's coming up with his, again, I'm saying defenses, true or made up, say to him, hmm. I think you know that's not the truth, but I'm going to give you a chance to start over and tell me the story of what happened again. Oh, I think you know that's how we don't behave. What do you want to do instead? Mm. Give him do-overs to see if with a direct prompt, he can self-correct some of this behavior. And I think that should get him on track. If this was to escalate, I probably would suggest that you go and see somebody with him and see what else might be going on there. Uh, finally, just uh, uh, we got uh, an email in from someone uh, on the uh, question about uh, the parent getting surgery. I uh, want to let the person getting surgery know I've been there. It's hard. It takes longer than expected to recover. But the children in my life actually handle my surgery and hair loss a lot better than I did. Kids are incredibly helpful and show so much more love than expected when you're dealing with such a difficult part of your life. Hope the surgery goes well. Absolutely. And, uh, hopefully that's uh, the resolution for that person as well. Joanna, thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, as ever, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.